into it. Now this week we're going to be talking about what happens when uh, financial difficulties come because sometimes it's rain, sometimes it's financial problems that hit us in our lives. And Jesus talked a lot about money. In fact, I was uh, really humbled, a little bit surprised. Uh, This last year I'm going through a, a coaching network that's teaching me about how to be a better pastor, which I'm really appreciative of. And they talked about money and I was like, I don't want to that's not something that's happy for me to talk about. And so, uh, because it's been one of those things in my life where it's like there's God and I just don't think about money as often. It's just not how I think, but it's gotten me in trouble at times because of that. And because of this, um, the pastors were like, no, Jesus talked about money a lot and they challenged me. And my goodness, does he ever? He really does. So I had this time of several months just getting into God's word, reading the, not just the, the counsel of Christ, but also the entire breadth of scripture. And it was this amazing thing. And I didn't know this at the time, but as soon as I finished that up, it was about oh, seven months from the flood date. And I think that's when the stress of finances from the flood really started hitting. And all of a sudden I started getting more and more people from the community, not just the church, the community coming in with all kinds of problems in their life and they're thinking about divorcing and they're thinking about all kinds of bad things in their life that they're going to do and struggling with addictions and we get down to it, it was money. And God had prepared me and this and now we get to talk about it today. Well, there's a particular passage where Jesus talks about money that it's so powerful. It is, it is for me what I find, it is, it is the centerpiece of his teachings on, on money and how it deals with our lives and where our peace comes from. And here it is. Well, that's going to stay down for a while. Matthew 6.33 says this. This is so powerful. Look what Jesus says. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. All right? If we boil down, there's a lot of other great teachings that tell us this, but our comfort and our peace never came from our wallets. And we have to remember that. And this passage from Christ is a message for us. How is it that God provides for us? Gives us everything we need? We seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously. God's got our back. What an amazing thing. All right. Well, let's talk about surviving life, overcoming financial hardship. You know, this is not a storm that hits everybody, just like a flood doesn't hit everybody. But it does hit a lot of folks. In fact, last night, I was amazed to watch, uh, uh, there was a, this show on TV called The Voice, right? Have you ever seen The, the Voice? Okay, I wasn't so impressed. But, uh, but um, I was watching a, one of my college game, and then it got over, and then I was going to turn the channel and get ready because I like my particular news channel was on that channel, and there was like The Voice. And as soon as it ended, there was like right there as it ended, there was this, this big thing for like ending world hunger. And they had, uh, it was like this, this whole show that they had brought all these celebrities out and, and diplomats and dignitaries, like leaders of the UN and all these things, talking about ending world hunger and all this kinds of stuff and amazing facts and things like this. And it really looked like a church service. If, you know, if you've ever gone to like one of those big church things, that's what it looked like. It was pretty phenomenal. And they gave some interesting stats about poverty and hunger uh, like 10 years ago. Uh, it was it was amazing. Uh, uh, 
the number of people of, like in the world, over a quarter of people in the world lived underneath the, the threshold of extreme poverty. And now that number, I think they say, was somewhere below 12%, which is great. We're making progress. And the church really leads the charge on this. God wants us to, to make that care. But the reality is, Hunger is not this thing that's distant or the thing that that was on this. As I talked about, it's even in amongst our own communities. Um, And so even though we live in the most wealthy nation in recorded history, uh, we also live with one where there is financial problems and stress. It's just part of our life. And what do we do when financial hardship comes our way? How do we handle that? Well, you know, there, there was a person, actually there's two people in the Bible that really faced this. And I think we can identify, if you've ever gone through financial hardship, there are these two women, uh, Ruth and Naomi. And uh, there's this book in the Old Testament called the Book of Ruth that talks about this. And uh, just phenomenal. So to understand kind of what they went through, because we're going to look at their life, how did they handle financial hardship, um, Let's take a look at the history of where they, they came from so you understand their timing because it makes sense more of their story. So in the Old Testament, remember we talked about there was, there was a time that, uh, that they, they, uh, people came into the promised land, right? And that was under Joshua, okay? Well, Joshua was a cool guy and that was an that was amazing time in Israelites' uh, history. And they take over the promised land, at least most of it, and... Then he dies in the year 1350, right? And when he dies, things go south, right? Because uh, a little bit. Uh, and so what happens is you have eight years of uh, Mesopotamian oppressors. What happens is the, the people from Mesopotamia came in and they made it very difficult for the Israelites in their land, partly because the people forgot God and they were wandering from him and all this. So what are we going to do? Well, God brings the first judge, Othaniel, and he comes in and he sets things straight. He frees them from the Mesopotamians. They have 40 years of peace and prosperity back in the land, which is a phenomenal time, right? Well, he dies. Dang, I hate it when the judges die because things happen. Bad things happen. And so what happens is is you, you have this famine that begins in the land. It's because around... Here, um, the people started to forget God again, and they started to bring in other foreign gods, and they started to wander from them, and the judge dies. And, and all of a sudden, there's this, this famine. And what happens during this famine is you have uh, Elgon, who's a Moab, uh, a Moabite. He uh, was a king, and he came over and made life hard for the Israelites. And they came and slaughtered a bunch of people and made life difficult because, one, there's a big old famine in Israel, so the people didn't. They were agricultural society, didn't have a lot of money, right? Um, they didn't have a, a real strong army or anything like that, nothing national. They were just uh, smaller states. And they didn't have, you know, a judge or someone to protect them. And so the Moabites came in and just basically raped the land. That's what they did. And just came over and just took, and it was a very scary time. Well, this lasted for 18 years, okay? Now, um, Naomi moves to to Moab with her husband, okay, the 1294, okay. So the the famine has already gone on for like, it's not like like the there was just like a beginning of a famine in the first year. They're like, oh, we give up. We're going to move to Moab. You wouldn't move to your enemy's country unless something big happened, right? But the, what happens is there's this big famine. You have this farming uh, couple and... They've been there for years, and they've been trying to stick it out, and there's just, 
there's no way. They have financial ruin. They have land granted by God. This is their property. You just don't give that up. But they couldn't make a profit on it. They couldn't provide for their family. (laughs) And so what do they do? Well, they move to the closest place that has an opportunity, a job opportunity, and they move into Moab, which was pretty close to where they lived. And can you imagine if if Canada somehow one day got crazy and they invaded us, right? We go through a difficult economic time and Canada takes advantage of that. And all of a sudden we're like, well, things are hard. I guess we're going to move to Canada. You probably don't like the Canadians all that much, right? Right? I know it's hard to imagine. But but that's what they do. They move to their, their enemy's territory. They, they set up shop. They become part of that, and, and which is a very difficult thing. Well, eventually... So, so the book of Ruth um, takes place about 1294, okay? And so that's what it starts. And they move in there. And eventually the, uh, the famine stops and God brings this judge named uh, Ehud, okay? And he comes in and he takes his, the armies of Israel and they go in and they go into Moab and they kill this dude. And, they, and of course, a lot of other people in the process, most likely... Naomi had some kids, two sons. And these sons married Moabite women during this time. And it's kind of strange, but uh, around the timing-wise, at the same time as her sons both die, is the same time that you have the judge, uh, Ehud, going back into Moab and studying the people free. And so a lot of Bible scholars presume because it's strange to have both of your sons die just at the same time um, it was very likely their sons were killed during this um, by the Israelites as they came back through and they swept through Moab <laughs> and killing off all the fighting men they did that well think about this from Naomi's perspective she goes into she loses her house her property her land moves to the enemy's land with her husband her husband died by the way somewhere in here he becomes a widow well if you're a woman in that age you didn't have a lot of economic opportunities for you and there wasn't such thing as life insurance okay what you had is you had kids and if you had sons your sons could help take care of you that's how it worked right so she has these sons the sons marry these moabite women and and they seem to be doing okay and then all of a sudden her sons both get killed she's lost all of her opportunity she's basically hit you know, bankruptcy yet again. Not to mention the emotional loss that she suffered, but the financial losses. They, I mean, she was really uh, struggling at this point, right? And then what does she do? Well, she eventually, she moves back with one of her daughters-in-law back to Israel, back to her home country, and you see how God redeems her through this. But it wasn't an easy process for Naomi. And for Ruth... Ruth marries this foreign guy. Things like seem pretty good. And all of a sudden, this Israel probably comes and kills her husband. And where does she move? Israel. Right? And, and for her, bankruptcy. Right? And she now feels this obligation to take care of her widowed mother-in-law. Uh, so financial hardship, these women understand it. How did they overcome it? Because the book of Ruth isn't a downer. Right? It's not taught like at every single women's retreat since the history of time because these were women without character or without hope. So what did, what did Ruth do? What did Naomi do? How did they overcome hardship? Well, let's talk about it. 
The first thing is that these women did is they accepted reality. Hey, it's, it's really important for us when financial hardship comes, it's easy for us to stick our heads in the sand and to say, no, this isn't really happening, and to live like you're not going through a financial difficult time. Right? Not changing your spending, not changing what you're doing, right? living off credit for a while and saying, just kind of, this, this is not happening. Right? And that gets us into a lot of trouble when we don't accept the reality of our situation. You see, when, when the difficulty comes, the first thing that we see that these women did is they recognized it and they lived in the reality of their situation. Let me give you an example. In Ruth 1.1, it says this, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Right? What happened? Well, they had this property given to them by God, by promise of God, and that land wasn't producing. And so they go and they, they're like, this is the reality. Okay? I know the promise is there, but I still don't have food on the table. Okay? So what do they say? We're going we're to leave Israel forever? No, it says here, they're going to live for a while in the country of Moab. They're going to adjust their circumstances. This is the reality. I've got to go where the job is. Right? That's, that's an important thing. They made that decision, and they didn't come to it quickly, but they ended up accepting reality. Look at this. Uh, Ruth 11, uh, 1, 11 through 13, it says, But Naomi said, Return home. This is after her, her sons get killed. Right? And she could have lived in this and said, listen, you owe me, my daughters-in-law, to take care of me because you were married to my sons who needed to take care of me. I don't have anybody left. Right? That's what she could have done. Instead, she accepted the reality of her situation. She says, but Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why should you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could bear, <laughs> bear your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. And even if there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried to them? <laughs> Look, as she's saying, listen, we could live in la-la land all we want to, but you've got to wake up. These, these women, she's saying, listen, you can't stick with me because I'm not going to have kids, sons for you. Right? I'm not married, for beginning with, but even if I was, even if today... I, I, had a, I had a son. You wouldn't wait that long. What are we going to do in the meantime? Naomi recognized it's so important to, to face the reality of what we're going through head on. She didn't sugarcoat it. She wasn't you know, over the top depressed about it. She just faced her reality. She accepted it. And this was a great strength for her. Now look at this. Ruth 2.2. Two, two. Ruth gets this, right? It says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick the leftover grain behind anyone else whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. Get this. Ruth, probably a you know, middle class type back then. You know, She had a husband and had these things. She goes to back, with, back with Naomi, back to the promised land. Okay? And they're there. They have a farm, but they haven't planted it yet. They have land, but that's about it. And instead of like living in La La Land saying, okay, we have got a field and we're going we're to tough this out and, and we're not going to, to, to take charity grain or anything like this. She says to her mother-in-law, I, I need to go and it's basically food stamps for the time back then. It was part of God's law. If you didn't have grain or things like that, you can go and harvest the back of the field. And it was pretty shameful. People felt bad about that if they did it because everyone would know the people in the back of the field were ones that you know, needed charity. And that was hard. 
But Ruth says to her mother-in-law, you know what, here's the reality of the situation. I don't have a lot of room for pride right now. I have necessity. We have to eat. Now, remember, this was a dangerous time for women. Okay, right before this, uh, a couple of years before this, during the, 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 period, the famine, there was a woman that was brutally raped and murdered by the Benjamites, not very far off from where, where Ruth is going to go pick grain from the fields. There wasn't a whole lot of protections for them. It wasn't a very safe thing for a woman to go by herself and, and glean grain. So she's taking on a lot of risk at the same time, taking the emotional you know, hit of going out and the embarrassment of going and picking charity grain. But she does. She recognizes the reality of her situation says, all right, I can sit here all day and say I deserve better than this. But instead, she says, you know what? This is the reality. Here's an opportunity. We've got to go for it. And that's what she does. And so that's a very helpful thing. But it's not the only thing they do. The second thing we see that these women do that helps them overcome uh, their, their, their financial problems was this. They act righteously. In the midst of all these things, we see um, in our world, typically where there's a lot of poverty, there's also a lot of crime. Have you noticed that? Okay. It doesn't mean where there's no poverty, there's no crime. Right? We certainly see that human nature is abundantly evil everywhere. But where there is a lot of need, oftentimes people think, well, I deserve better than this, or I don't... I want better than this, or I am desperate, and therefore, I'm going to take what I can get. And if I have to break the law, so be it. And, and that's what happens. But these women don't act that way. In the midst of their crisis, they, they don't go against their morals. They don't violate the laws of God to get things for today. Let me give you an example. Watch this. And Ruth 1.8, it says, Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. Now, Ruth could have laid on the real thick guilt trip. I mean, Naomi could have laid on the real thick guilt trip to these, these gals, right? She could have said, I lost my husband, now I lose my kids. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have no opportunities. I'm going to be poor. And she could have told her daughters-in-law, you better not leave me. Right? <laughs> you better not go. You, you owe me, even though they didn't. And she could have, through guilt, I'm pretty sure, played upon them and forced them to take care of her. But instead, she knew what was right. And she thought with the eyes of love. And she said, you know what? My poverty doesn't need to be their poverty. Right? They've done their part. They've, they've treated me well. And so I'm going to treat them well, even if it comes at my own expense. I'm going to act righteously, and that's exactly what she did. She sent away her hope for income with a blessing. Now, that's courage. That, that, is, that is integrity and character at the highest level. Because there are times that we're at most needy that we're just like, oh, I'll take whatever I can get. And Ruth said, no, I would rather have character. Or Naomi did, and she sent her daughters a lot away, which is phenomenal. But you know how it works when, when we are righteous, God oftentimes, well, we seek the kingdom of God first and act righteously. <laughs> Guess what? So look what happens. It says, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. For where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. <laughs> your people be my people, and your God, my God. When where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Get this. Ruth 
owed nothing to her mother-in-law. Nothing. She had been set free by her mother-in-law. She could have gone very easily back to her home, right? Found another man, could have had the easy life. But instead she saw her mother-in-law through eyes of love and compassion. And didn't treat her mother-in-law with like what she just owed her. She said, you know what? I feel morally compelled to help take care of you for crying out loud. You're a widow and you lost your sons. There's no way I'm going to just leave you to go starve. And she acts righteously. She takes that next step up and she says, no, I'm not going to leave you. We're in this together. Think of the courage that took. In the midst of her own poverty, she chooses righteousness. Now, again, when we seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, what happens? Well, you see this in Ruth 1.1. Uh, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem, Judah, together with his wife, his two sons, uh, they went to live for a while in the country of Moab. I don't know why that is in there. That is the wrong verse. Uh, <laughs> that is solely the wrong word. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. I don't know how that got there. Uh, there is this guy... Right, who lives in Israel, right? And he has he he's got a good field, he's got employees, right? And he sees Ruth coming walking through his field getting grain. And he says to his people, You know what? Take care of her. Make sure she's safe, make sure she gets what she needs. Now he didn't have to do that, he was a businessman. But he chose to have smaller profits so that people could be taken care of. He chose people above profits, and I think that's the opposite of greed, which is what God calls us to, amazing thing, right? And God, of course, takes care of them. And God takes care of him too. This amazing thing, they act righteously in the midst of financial difficulty, and God takes care of them. Phenomenal. Now, this is, this is the hard part. Right. First two. Okay, we're going to say I'm going to agree with this. Okay, in the midst of, of, of financial difficulty, I need to accept the reality. I need to act righteously. I get that. That makes sense. Here's where it gets difficult. But here's where the power to overcome financial difficulty really exists. Look at this. Extend generosity. Both of these women extend generosity in the midst of their difficult times, which is so counterintuitive to us. Right. When financial difficulty hits, typically we say, no, I'm not going to give. Right? I want to take care of me first. Look what, these, look what these women do. It's so cool. It says, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home. This is, this is Naomi talking to her daughters. May the Lord grant that each of you find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and wept aloud. Right? She showed them not just, hey, it's okay. I'm releasing you to go marry other husbands. Right? But then she prays a blessing over them. No, seriously, go. Now that is a generosity. It's not a financial generosity, but it kind of is. Because she's releasing them. Big time. She's like, I'm not going to drag you down. Her only assets were her daughter-in-law's. And she acts generously. She gives them their freedom and their life. That's huge. Naomi is generous. Watch this with, with Ruth. Ruth says, in the meantime, Boaz said to her, come over here and have some bread and dip into the wine and vinegar. And we'll talk a little bit later what she does with that. And then she got up to glean. 
Okay, and Boaz gave the orders to men, let her gather amongst the sheaves and don't reprimand her and pull out some of the stalks from the bundles. This was, should have been the verse that was before. And then it says this, and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. Okay, Boaz extends Ruth generosity. Right? Now, he wasn't a financial difficult time, but he had lots of money. Right? And there are times, too, when financial difficulties cannot be the lack of money, but sometimes having too much. Right? And it can begin to own us. And what does he do? He sets people above his profit, and he does that. He extends generosity. Now watch this. So cool. Ruth, what does she do? When, when in the midst of her poverty, this guy gives, gives her lunch, and now she's got a lot of extra grain and more than she normally would have gotten. What does she do? Does she just take off by herself and say, See you, Naomi. I am now financially secure. Right? I'm set. No, look what she does. She doesn't, she's got enough for the next day. And what she, So Ruth cleaned in the field until evening. Then... Uh, she threshed the barley that she had gathered. She did all of this work, by the way, right? She's out there working hard. And this is not easy work. And it says, and it amounted to, I don't even know what that is, like a basket. Then it says, she carried it back into town and she gave her mother-in-law how much, and she, uh, and she and her mother-in-law saw how much she gathered and Ruth brought it out and gave her what she had left over and, and that she had enough eaten. Now look at this. She, she goes and works. It is, it is Ruth the one that's put into sweat. Right? She's the one that's taking the risk, going out in the field. She's the one that's bringing in the income. Right? What is her mother-in-law doing? She's at home because she's an old woman. Not doing anything. Well, I'm sure she was doing something. I don't know what she was doing. Nothing. She wasn't earning grain. That's what she wasn't doing. And get this. Ruth had leftovers, a doggy bag from Boaz's free lunch. Does she keep that and hide it for herself for the next day in the field? No. She feeds her mother-in-law right now. And then they've got grain that's already been prepared, already been, uh, you know, the, the yucky parts have been blown off by the wind. She did that part. She did all of everything. And she shares it. She didn't have a lot, but what she had, she said, you know what? I'm going to extend generosity. In the midst of my financial troubles, I'm going to extend generosity. I'll tell you, this is so important. Because it goes back to our faith. In the midst of our troubles, is our, is our salvation, has it ever been in our pocketbook? Is that where it comes from? It's not, the, it's not the mandate of a bank to save us. But it is in the heart of God to save us and to care for us. And these women, by acting righteously, they trusted in a God who was going to take care of them through that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. <laughs> right? And what happens? They live that way. Even in the midst of poverty, they can extend generosity. I've had so many people in the last couple months come to my office in the midst of very difficult financial troubles that are causing all kinds of problems in their home life and causing all kinds of trouble with addictions and things like this, right? And when I talk to them about the importance of extending generosity, they're like, I can't do that. I can't afford to be generous. I can't take care of myself. Bingo! Because it's not you who's in charge of taking care of you. Seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously. You see, we begin by saying God made us to be generous. God made us to care for others and for him first. If you try to take care of yourself, God will let you try to take care of yourself. But if we live righteously and we live for the more important things, and we live for love like he calls us to and for his kingdom. 
Well, watch out. Because it's not you that's going to carry you through your problems. Right? These women, in the midst of their poverty, extend generosity. Now, this is huge. This is hard. But I will tell you, I'll challenge you to do it. No, regardless of what your status is, Jesus actually points out to this woman that was phenomenal about this. Um, he goes to the temple with his disciples, and they're all gathered around him, and he's talking. All of a sudden, in the, in the background, you hear this clank, 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 because it's all the rich people putting their monies into the coffers that helps pay for all the great things that happen. There's nothing wrong with what they're doing. And then you hear this little clink, clink. And it's like a penny, like two little half pennies dropped into the offering thing. And he stops and he says, whoa, do you see her? Because she, I will tell you the truth, she gave more than anybody else. And you're like, are you kidding me? She gave like a penny. He said, no. Everybody else gave out of their wealth. Everybody else gave out out of their comfort. But she gave out of her poverty. Right? And what happens? God blesses that. Now, there's an example for us to follow. So it doesn't matter if I'm rich or poor, if I'm doing well or doing little. God calls us to live generously. So when financial difficulties come, we don't stop on that, do we? No. It's a generous life. Now, we go here. This is the very hardest of all of them. It is by far the most difficult thing that we can do, but it's to accept generosity. It is so much easier to give than receive. All right? Jesus says it's better to give and receive. He's not kidding. Right? Because when I'm giving, typically, it puts me in that position of I can be benevolent. I'm going to give. I'm, I'm not in this. But to receive is an acknowledgement of need. And our pride fights against that, doesn't it? Our pride tells us I shouldn't have to, especially in our culture where we're supposed to be self-made. Right? We don't need anybody. To accept generosity is very difficult, but I tell you what, it is essential. The body of Christ is supposed to be a family. We all talk about we want the church to be like you know, the first century church you know, where they were growing and spreading and God's love was just you know, invading every corner of society. You know, in, in, in Acts, it talks about that particular church and what they were doing. One of the things it says is they met together regularly, so they had great fellowship. And when you have fellowship, you get to know things about one another. Right, And then it said they were selling property and items and things to give to others that had need. And, and you know what that means? Is that there were people there that had need that had to accept the help of the church. Their brothers and sisters. And it was beautiful. In fact, it was so beautiful, it didn't make sense to the culture. And people were like, what's up here? And Jesus' words were true. It says, the world will know that you are my, disi- my disciples by your love for one another. And the gospel spread like crazy. Well, you cannot have that dynamic of the first century church if everybody says, I don't need anything, thank you, but I don't want any generosity. Here's the reality. I think that there are storms that God allows into our lives to remind us of the real truth that none of us are self-sufficient, nor should we ever be. And I will tell you that those who have received generosity can be the most generous people in the world. And when they offer generosity later in their lives... They, it comes with a compassion, not with, a, with an arrogance. It comes with love. And it's a beautiful thing. But you have to, to set your pride down at some point to say, okay, I'm going to receive help. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually it's part of being in a family of faith. Just take it from me. Look at these women. Look what they do. Here, Ruth 1.9 says, she... Naomi says to her daughters, look, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And she kissed them a lot, uh, goodbye, and they wept aloud. These women, 
accept this. Now, Ruth says, thank you for that, but I'm going to stick with you. The other daughter-in-law was, thank you. And you know what? She probably had a great life. She doesn't get to be in the Bible, but you know, much longer than that. <laughs> you know. But there was nothing wrong with it, was it? it? They left well. There wasn't a bitter dispute. There wasn't. She left with a blessing, and that's an awesome thing. She accepted that. Watch this. This is Ruth. 2.14 says this. In the meantime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, dip in the wine and vinegar. Now, this is when Ruth goes out to his field, right? First time, goes to this guy's field, doesn't even know where he is, picking the grain. And the guy says, hey, come here, have lunch. Along with the rest of this is already prepared. Have lunch. You've been working hard. Right? A free lunch. And she could have said, no, thank you. I don't need it. Right? Getting that pride. You know, I'm out here picking your grain to begin with, so don't embarrass me anymore by giving me a free lunch. That's what pride would tell her to do. But look what she does. <laughs> and she sat down with the harvesters, the people that had jobs, and, she said, and he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted. She's not like just a little bit. She, wasn't, she was like, okay, I will accept this. This is awesome. And this is exactly what Boaz wanted for her. Not just, okay, I'll, I'll eat two or three. I'll, be, I'll feel really guilty about eating it. No, she sits down. Ruth accepts his generosity and has every all. And she gets filled up, and then she gets a doggy bag, and takes them home for her mother-in-law. And you know what? Do you think Boaz was like freeloader? No, it gave him joy, right? But it also met her need. God provided. She acted righteously, right? She was seeking His kingdom first. She was doing all those things, and God provided, and she had the sense enough to receive it. And what a great thing. And you think that Ruth would have ended up with Boaz later on if she had turned him away? Probably not. Now she's like, nope, don't need it, and I'm not going to go to your field anymore. I don't need your charity. Now she knew well enough to say, I have need. Thank you. And she received it graciously. Graciously. Now look at this. Ruth 2, 17, 18 says this, and Ruth gleaned in the field till evening, and then she threshed the barley, she went down, and then she carried it back to town where her mother-in-law saw how much she gathered, and then she gave some of everything to her mother-in-law, and her mother-in-law does what? Accepts it. Eats her daughter-in-law's leftover lunch. Has a good meal. Helps her stock the pantry. She could have said to her daughter-in-law, nope, you know what? <laughs> I can do this without you. This is my land. This is my property. I'm going to farm it. I don't, really don't need you. You're obviously fine, but I don't need your charity. She could have done that. That's what pride would tell us to do, right? Be self-made. But what does she do? She accepts it. And her needs are met. That is hard, but it's essential. Now, overcoming financial hardship. In my time of study in the Word and following these women, but also through the rest of Scripture, as I find this, this is what I think that I, is God's help for us. Not just survive financial difficulty. Too many people are just surviving financial difficulty. They never seem to get past it. And it's usually because there's a breakdown in one of these four areas. Right? For us to really overcome difficult finances when they come, we need to follow the <laughs> Scripture. The first thing we need to do is accept reality. Right? When financial difficulties come, we need to realize that they came. Right? Sometimes it may need a job change. Or a location change. And man, I love living in Estes. But if the realities are, I've got to change, or 
man, this job just is not working, to recognize that and don't come with the assumption that the world owes you a free lunch. To accept your reality. Wide-eyed, don't sugarcoat it. This is where I am. And make the changes necessary, right? Respond to your financial situation. For some of us, it could be I need to budget. For others, it might be, you know what, I need to really get out of debt. Because the reality is, is that I can't spend more in debt to get myself out of debt. And to wake up to where we're at and to make an assessment, this is where I am, and to make the adjustments. To be aware. And I think a lot of us would be in a lot better place financially when we hit these things if we made this first thing. The second thing is to act righteously. To not use poverty or financial difficult times or wealth as an excuse to live selfishly. God never allows us to have money be an excuse to live for me. He always tells us the command, love God with everything, seek first the kingdom of God, right? And to love other people as much as we love ourselves, act righteously. Then he provides for us. And so in the midst of whatever my circumstances are, to make sure that I am living up to the code that God has called me to. To not, if I am going through difficult times, not to pull in and say, you know what, I'm not going to care about your needs because I've got my own. Or if I've got plenty of wealth and I can say, you know what, I earned this and you didn't, so and I can see you have need, but I don't want to share. There is a righteousness factor that God calls us to that's just far bigger than those things. To look at our circumstances and to say, where am I? Am I acting righteously? Now, here's the thing. I can do both of these things regardless. It's much easier if I start those two things before I have financial difficulties. Right? Before money becomes a problem in my heart and my life, whether it's too much or too little. If I live in the reality of where I'm at, right? I live responsibly in those things, and I'm righteous before God and how I, and how I treat other people, then when the difficult times come, I've already got these patterns in place. You can build these in the midst of crisis, but it's a lot harder. So to get our financial bearings and, and things to say, where am I at? <laughs> Am I living according to reality and am I acting righteously? Am I doing what God called me to do? If I'm doing that, if I just start to get the habit of doing that, then when financial disaster comes, I'm, I'm well ahead of the curve, way ahead of the curve than most people are, and I'll be able to overcome the difficulties much easier. Now, extending and accepting generosity. If I have the base of accepting reality and acting righteously, I'm in a really good position to do those two. <laughs> to be a person of generosity. Right? Even in the midst of difficult times to say, I can help. Right? In every way I can. For Naomi, it was a blessing. Right? She didn't have two pennies to rub together. But she said, I'm going to give everything that I can. And for Ruth, it was giving labor. Right? To going and going out into the field and bringing home an income for her mother-in-law. That's what she can do. For Boaz, it was in the midst of his wealth to say, you know what? I'm going I'm to live righteously. I'm going to act generously in the midst of this. I could get better profits if I didn't deal with this. But I'm choosing something bigger. For us, in the midst of our things, to say, am I, am I a generous person? Is generosity something that begins to define me? And then, of course, the hardest of which is to accept generosity. That's when we have overcome the financial difficult time. <laughs> Are we willing to accept the gratitude of somebody who we extend generosity to? Or in the midst of a difficult financial time, are we going to have the humility to say thank you and to trust that it's through the church that God oftentimes meets needs. These are the four things that I see is we hit these. We don't have to fear financial disaster because here's the thing. The church isn't just one person, is it? One person, boom, quickly snapped. We're destroyed. But the church is a body of Christ. 
we are in this together. And it's a wonderful thing. And so when financial disaster comes for one, it doesn't always hit everybody, right? Was Boaz in the same place that Naomi and Ruth were? No, but they both, they all needed the same need. They needed love, they needed God, they needed, and they all acted righteously. Right? They all lived accepted generously. You know what? They seek the kingdom of God first. They live righteously. And what did God do? He took care of them, just like he promised. Now, I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And as they do, I would like you guys to pull out that uh, connection card of yours and also this yellow piece of paper. On the back side of the connection card, you say, what am I going to do about this, right? I don't know. Maybe you're in a time in life where you've overcome the flood and it's passed and you know what, finance, your finances are starting to stabilize and it's fantastic. But maybe you're not. Maybe you're in the midst of still rebuilding and all the other things, the problems of that. Or maybe there's other problems you know, that finances have brought in. How do, you, how do you respond? Well, here's some suggestions. The first one is this. To memorize Matthew 6.33. Right? That is the truth of God's word. It's not some, some far-off promise that God makes. He's been keeping this promise before he ever had it written in Scripture. Look how he treated Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. It's the same God today. He says, seek him first. Act righteously. Trust him. He will care for you. There's an awesome little uh, cartoon in your, in your bulletin that speaks of this. It's a powerful thing. Memorize that verse, but think on it. Trust God. How about this? Read the book of Ruth. Maybe this week, if you're, in, you're like, I, I need to connect with God and how he can take care of me. Maybe the next step you can do is this week, you know, read a chapter or two in the book of Ruth. It's a phenomenal story, but see how God cares for us in the midst of financial calamity. A phenomenal thing. How about this? This is, a, this is attending a budgeting class. Uh, there's a guy in our church, uh, Stephen Falachi, who's our financial secretary right now, and he and his, he's got a passion for teaching through a, uh, a financial series um, through Dave Ramsey. And coming this winter or spring, he wants to put together an eight-week class, which they teach on this. And what this is the thing. If you would like some greater tools to overcoming difficult finances and things like this, um, let us know. This is kind of like a pre-information sign-up. If you want more information on this or something you think would be helpful, let us know because it gives us an idea of how big of a class we need to begin preparing for. So that's what that one is. How about this? Uh, commit to regular giving for 40 days. You know, this could be a very difficult thing. Why? It doesn't mean, you know, you're starting with a tithe right now, although I would suggest it, but it would be this. In the midst of wherever you are right now, are you giving regularly to God? Is your generosity first to Him? Why? Because if we don't extend generosity, right, we become very self-centered. And I would encourage you to read the words of Christ on this. If this has been something you've never really done, a discipline or, or a way of, of the faith that you've never done, I'm going to invite you to free yourself from your finances owning you and to commit to saying, you know, this next 40 days, I'm just going to give regularly to God. Sit it in your heart, right? in your mind. This is what I feel that God wants me to give. I'm just going to do it. And I want to see if God cares for my needs. I can't afford it. Well, can you really afford not to? Right? Are you trying to take care of yourself? Or are you going to seek God first and let him meet your needs? So there's a challenge for you. And if you want to do that, I'll be praying for you. Because I know that personally, I was challenged several years ago to do this. And it was scary. <laughs> and God met my needs. Not how I thought he would, but way better. So I'm going to challenge you. That's, that's the way that you can do that. If there's some other 
uh, commitment that you have in there, that write it down because we'll be praying for you this week. And if you have a prayer request, you know what? The body of Christ is here for a lot of things and we carry your burdens in prayer. We're glad to do it. So write those down. We'll be praying for you. In a minute, few minutes, we're going to drop that in the offering. I'll make sure you do that. Now, in the back of your bulletin, I don't want to leave without any tools. We're talking about money and money's a practical thing. So there's practical tools out there. Here is a list of, of great books if you wanted some more information right now, how can I help? You know, how can I get God's mind on how I my finances? There's some great books there. There's also uh, websites, some really great ones out there for this. There's Crown Financial, Dave Ramsey, the two of the big ones. Check those out. Um, some great things. There's also some tools that you can get. You can download. That, that's where you would find those. This is a very valuable thing. It's for your midst of crisis. Now, watch this. In the back. We also have printed out for you some of the stuff. And if you don't have a printer at home, this one is a budgeting worksheet. So it talks about different situations you might have in life. Maybe you're single. It lets you know how much of your income should go to different things to help you make a budget. If you've got a family, it lets you know kind of what that is. And depending on how much you earn, kind of what your budget should look like. That's kind of a template, right? And on the very back is a budget worksheet just to get you started. So if right now your finances seem like they're out of control, Here's a great tool for you. Those are in the Welcome Center. We'll have those out there for the next few months for you. Now, if you want some just more in-depth teaching on this, this is a, a kind of a first step, kind of a primer on a God's perspective of, of how to, to finance. This tool is also out there on the bulletin for you. You see, we want to be with you. I hope you understand overcoming financial crisis involves a church. Right? It involves a family of faith. We're going to be here to do everything we can to overcome those crises as they hit in the church family. So if you have, if, you would, if these could help you, please go get them in the, in the uh, foyer out there. All right. Well, um, that's my time. So we're going to pray uh, for God's offering and uh, for our offering to him. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a good and a powerful God who loves us, who takes care of our needs. Father, who we uh, can trust. Father, help us to, to trust you with all things. Lord, seek your kingdom first. Let us act righteously and let us trust that you have us because we really are your children. What a joy that is. This week, let us live in that joy and that freedom that comes with knowing that uh, money isn't a master. In fact, Father God, you've taken care of those things. So let us pursue you with all we have, that unabandoned joy that we have in serving you. Uh, That's our prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.